set some context for uh, those of you who did not raise your hands when I asked about the London Library and Creation Theatre. So the London Library, as you can see, a beautiful setting. Um, this is the world's largest independent uh, lending library. It's been here in St. James's Square for 177 years. Um, and it is amongst uh, its incredible history, it's had countless famous authors who have been members here um, and have researched and written some, some of our best-known works um, at this very address. And those include, and I'm going to read, uh, so that includes Charles Dickens, George Eliot, Ian Forster, Virginia Woolf, Aldous Huxley, Arthur Conan Doyle, H.G. Wells, and Bram Stoker, who was a member here from 1890 to 1897. Did any of you read the exhibition downstairs? Yeah. Already. Okay, so a lot of you will know this already, but for the benefit of whoever's watching on Facebook. That's um, so, um, uh, and Creation Theatre Company is an Oxford-based uh, theatre company which has built an incredible reputation for staging theatre in unusual spaces. So they, for instance, and again, if you haven't got the programme, do get it because there's a lot of information about uh, both of these incredible organisations in it. But, uh, so for instance, they have done all the Huxley's Brave New World in a shopping centre. They did uh, Edgar Allan Poe, an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, which was amazing. They did it in Oxford at the Bodleian Library. They've done Shakespeare in gardens and castles and stately homes and all over the place. Um, so quite incredible. And one of the uh, things um, that they uh, really are known for are also kind of um, fitting the story with the space that they choose. Is that fair to say, Lucy? Um, so you might think, now that I've given you that context, you might think, okay, uh, Dracula... But written by Bram Stoker, he researched it here, they must have done this production to be here, right in front of us. Um, because we only discovered, actually, a few months ago that Bram Stoker did, in fact, research um, Dracula here. Um, and if you've seen the exhibition, you know that there are still 26 books on the shelves here that have little scribblings in the margins from him and, and notes that he made. And, and that's amazing. So you'd think they were inspired by that, right? That would be a great story. But that's not what happened, right? So who's going to start us off and take us back to... I'm going to start with Kate, actually. Kate, it wasn't the London Library that inspired this production and your adaptation of Dracula. Can you take us back to when you did start working on it and why? Yeah, well, I mean, in a sense, why is because I was commissioned <laughs> to, to do it. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, that is the honest answer. But, um, and it start, we started working on it about a year ago. And I think, like with all creation shows, um, Lucy came with a sort of idea of how we could turn the adaptation into something fresh and something new. And that always involves taking away and putting back in. And what we decided would be really exciting would be potentially to not see this count that has so many hundreds of representations across all different kind of mediums and we just kind of thought I wonder what it's like if we just take him out mm -hmm. um, and we just have the sort of essence and sort of spirit and uh, intensity of him and see what that does to the show and then of course on top of that um, we were interested in the two-hander and how you can tell a story in a kind of with, with those sort of frameworks around it. So that was kind of where the sort of creation inspiration came from. So you um, mentioned that. So, so the original novel, for those who've read it, it's about 400 pages, isn't it? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, lots, of, lots of characters, including, as you say, the count. Um, so just to, to how did you take this 400-pager and think, I'm going to just narrow it down? What was your process? 
I mean, I, I read it a lot, and I, I think it's really about thinking... I mean, obviously, Helen and I had a lot of conversations, but about themes that most struck us as interesting, because you can't... You just can't... If you were to put that whole plot on this stage... It would be, I think it would be really not convincing and probably quite dull as well because it traverses so many different landscapes and it's just a very complex chronology, I think. So it's yeah. about sort of shining a light on it, on a theme or a character that inspires you. So we started with those sort of ideas, really. What, was, what, was the, what were the themes that interested us and how could we get those two characters narrowed down out of all the many characters in Dracula? How could we narrow it down and make them have a sort of a journey that was inclusive of the plot but also not you know doggedly loyal to it because that wouldn't necessarily work as a stage show mm, we talked a lot about um like form and content matching so yeah. if you yeah. if you have two actors then that's part of your form that's a that's a given form yeah. so then in terms of the content that we want to draw from the story we want to look at well what's the core relationship between those two actors, how can we make it meaningful that, it, that it's two actors so that the, the form and the content reflect? So that's why we were interested in Jonathan and Mina as two main characters. So then we became very drawn to the idea of two main characters who, and, and, and like uh, refracting the kind of Dracula story through them. What does it mean through them if we follow their journey? And in the novel, it is clear that they haven't had sex, even though they're married. <laughs> and, um, and it is, you know, it's, a, it's about vampires, which is all about yeah. sex. And everybody thinks of vampires as really sexy. And then you've got these two key characters that have got married but not had sex. And, um, and that was a, a starting point yeah. for us, really. Now, um, the, the, the story of Dracula has been adapted countless times. I think on film alone, there are over 200 yeah. versions. Does that, is that kind of a distraction for you when you are thinking of looking at uh, a really well-known story afresh? Well, we kind of approach it in really different ways, yeah. don't we? Like, I, I tend to not watch anything at all, but you're oh, no, quite, watch and you watch everything, <laughs> which is probably quite a good balance, actually. Yeah, yeah it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we've, I've noticed that we always do that. Don't we? Yeah. So you've worked uh, together before? Yeah, yeah we quite have. Well. You've done together yeah. before? Well, we've worked for creation um, three t about three times, haven't we? And we've done some other stuff. And we devised a piece as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and your film script. Yeah, well. yeah. We've done quite a few things together now, so we're sort of quite used to... Being inside each other's heads. Yes. And finishing each other's heads. <laughs> yes. so, so, Helen, you watched everything. Um, how was that helpful to you? Oh, it's super helpful. Well, it... <sighs> I suppose that then, because I watch everything all at once, uh, I don't actually remember any individual film, but I get loads and loads of impressions of things. And I think I'm interested in what are people's expectations of the story. I think something as famous as Dracula, um, actually a lot of people haven't read it at all, but most people think they know the story, and what they think they know of the story, and what, we, what has filtered through into popular culture is what we know from films and other adaptations. And I think it's, a useful, it's useful to know, well, what do people expect... What aspects of those expectations do I want to play with and which ones do I want to question? So uh, part of the staging of this does have a lot of kind of filmic nods, I think, in, in, the, in the soundscape, in the kind of the horror aspect of, of Dracula, which I was quite taken with, that kind of... That's part of the joy Absolutely. of it. I think that the story itself is a little bit... 
And the first stage version, I believe, was written by Bram Stoker himself, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, About the time of the publication of the book, and uh, it was four hours long. Um, So uh, you've done really well. Um, But but I do want to come back to the technical aspects in this incredible production. But before that, let's talk about the setting. So I've said you didn't write it for this space. Which space did you create the production for originally? It was for Blackbar's Bookshop in, in Oxford. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suppose the, the setting came with site-specific work. You can't just play against a setting. It has mm-hmm. to feel like it's part, part of the world. Otherwise, it's just really hammy and strange and disconnected. So that, that, the whole of Blackbar's is very, very different to this. It's, um, it's kind of post-war, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's got a very kind of yeah. 50s vibe to it. So that's where that idea first came from. And then it just seemed to... To, to set it in the 50s rather yeah. than 1890. Yeah, because it spoke to that setting mm-hmm. it and spoke so to the did room. the themes too. Mm-hmm. So it sort of found its home. Whereas I think if we'd been doing it here, we might have done something different. I don't know. <coughs> yeah. Um, because this doesn't feel particularly... Good. So when you wrote it and when you conceived the production, you knew that it was going to be staged mm-hmm. in that Blackwell's, workshop. Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Which is also why we set it kind of in the library of yeah. Lucy's yeah. house. We wanted to refer to it the ha- You've got limited so. sets, basically, when, you know, it has to make sense to have someone stuck in a place. So, hence the weather. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hence the purpose of her finding the clues in the library. She's got to stay there until she's found it. Okay. Um, so, um, before we come back to the technical aspects, let's just uh, connect the dots. So, how did you, uh, from Blackwell's, how did it then come to the London Library? Uh, well, Philip Marshall, who, who runs the London Library, uh, saw the production in Oxford and contacted us, and that's marvellous. said, do you want to come? And I think I'm right in saying that, so, you know, I, I said that it hit the headlines a few months ago that research was done here at the library uh, to um, confirm that Bram Stoker, as suspected previously, that he had definitely researched, spent those seven years researching here. And that was prompted, was it not, Lucy, by after he saw this production, is that yes. right? Yeah, so Philip saw the production and invited Helen and I to come and have a look round and said, could you do the show here? And then Philip Spedding, the development director, was sort of thinking, how, how are we going to raise money to do this? Um, and we sort of started looking into it and looking into the connections and then, you know, it became like the Indiana Jones books, discovering all these amazing discoveries <laughs> and Bram Stoker's handwriting, and, which has then just led on to this just like absolutely incredible... And it makes you wonder what else is in this <laughs> here. Yeah. And this is the first time they've staged uh, production yeah. here in the library. Incredible. Yeah, but I think you could have lots more productions here, but keep doing yes. more research. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're already plotting. Oh, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So um, let's talk quickly about technical aspects, and then we'll go to this uh, gentleman, and then I'm hoping the rest of you are really warmed up. So... Yeah. Technical challenges of putting this on. How long did you work on the production, and what comes first? The, 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 what comes first? Oh my goodness! I think everything comes at once. Like you kind of layer it up in yeah. bits. Um, well, you the, should bring your book for this. Helen has a massive <laughs> like book on every show that she does. It just gets bigger and bigger and fatter. You should definitely bring your book to Pope's Like a, it's like an artifact from like you know eighteen hundreds or something. It's really intense. It is quite intense. There's quite a lot of notes. Um, but there's loads of things to balance. Cause, uh, so the queuing for this show, I, there's, the uh, DSM is hiding over there, but extraordinary technical queuing. 
because there really is an art to cueing all that sound and lights and, and AV and projection so that it goes at exactly the right time because it, because it is at, at the minimal the kind of the, the third actor in the piece. Um, uh, how do you conceive of it? Well, the people I'm with, uh, uh, that created the sound, the light, and, uh, and the AV are quite extraordinary uh, creatives, all, all of whom I've worked with before. So, and they've mostly worked with each other before. So we have a kind of shared creative language that's been built up over numerous productions, and that makes the whole process <laughs> smoother, I think. But they're, they're extraordinary creatives, and we all trust each other a lot. So there's a, a very good kind of communication there but it has to be in from quite early in the process so really. let's just um, shout them out so designer Ryan Dawson late um, audiovisual Eva Oster sound designer Matt Eaton mm-hmm. lighting <coughs> Ashley Bale very mm-hmm. talented people okay gentleman here with a question was it you? Mm-hmm. oh it was you sorry, sorry. <coughs> one, one of the questions you answered already was about space the design specific uh, you know restrictions and restraints to set mm-hmm. something like this of this complexity within a space. But the other is, uh, I guess it's an observation. I, I'm interested in the aspect of uh, the novel is uh, narrated to the reader in a very fragmented way. Mm-hmm. He uses journals, he uses, uh, you know, Dr. Seward's uh, records, etc. And uh, it seemed to me that, especially in the second act, this fragmentation reflects a little bit of fragmentation within the characters themselves. And uh, in the appearance of the count in the castle, we hear we hear almost like a, a, a it preempts that sort of fragmentation by hearing both the female and the male voice in the count, mm. and then the gender roles swap, like Seward mm. and Renfield swap in the second act. I'm wondering if uh, you were trying to like reflect that type of fragmented narration into a, an increasingly fragmented uh, characterization, like the characters mm-hmm. getting more, there's this darkness entering the characters, mm-hmm. and they're almost, they're, we know they embrace this darkness at the end, which saves a whole trip to Transylvania. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I was wondering, towards the end of the play, okay, how are they going to do, okay, it's almost at the end of the play, how are they going to do the whole... We, I remember we talked about that for a long time, actually. It's, it's, it's a long just, time ago So now. let's just be clear, for those who haven't read the novel, the novel, the story ends with a trip to Transylvania. So yeah. you, t- you talked about whether... What's that? You spoiled it. spoiled the novel. Okay, we, oh, yeah, we did didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and you decided not to include it. Yeah. And why was that? Gosh. It, it just didn't... When I was writing, it just didn't feel like the natural way that those characters ended. Mm. It just didn't feel like suddenly this would have to be Transylvania and... It, 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 just, it just felt, it just didn't feel like that's where it went. But do you remember we had this amazing conversation where we were like, oh my goodness, actually what happens is they invite the, the count in and we are ending the play mm. by saying it's really good to become vampires. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we thought that's what happened, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And we were like, oh, that, that is the right ending for this mm. play. But you're right, there's, there's um, and I love those observations, I think they're great. There's, there is an increasing kind of, uh, yeah, inviting in of the, of the vampire personality and the they're kind of their personalities are fragmenting into the other roles that they play. So uh, the the idea is, and Kate has written it just ridiculously well, that you can trace certain aspects of the the dynamic of the relationship between Jonathan and Mina through every other character 
they play, it's incredibly nuanced, your, your writing in that, um, so that by the end, they're, they're kind of almost like role-playing characters that, that, that the couple are playing. Um, but the gender thing in, in Dracula was also, because we were looking at the psychological as aspect of everything that happens between Jonathan and Mina is, is kind of reflected and refracted through the other characters that they play, that even Dracula's voiceover is actually uh, recordings of the voiceovers of the, of the two actors. Um, we're now sitting yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, do you want to just move forward a little bit? Because I'm just very aware that uh, I've got the Facebook going here and no one's going to see you if you're on the other side of the middle. We can come, like, sit on the stairs if you like. Yeah, yeah, come to the little <laughs> Come and squeeze on the chaise. Uh, I forgot. I'm sorry. You've you, you directed something. I don't know. I forgot what you were saying. Oh yes, you guys are also playing the other characters as well as uh, Lucy. I assume is that you as well? Yes. That's yeah. incredible. That's incredible. Um, uh, okay. So um, for you as performers, what was it like um, playing these multiple roles in these um, in this quite as this gentleman said in these incredible fragmented and refracted ways with lots of technical challenges? Um, amazing, just such a great uh, challenge, um, and like Helen was saying, it's just it's it's really exciting to kind of focus on like a central relationship, but then get to kind of explore all the different aspects of that through through all of the other characters. Um, yeah, just really challenging, but really really fun. Thanks, yeah. Bart. Was, yeah, it's great. It's really fun. Like, <laughs> you want to bounce back and forth, so you never really know where you stand. That's just really good. And tonight, you did have an, um, a certain challenge as well. Uh, well, first of all, I sat over here by the window, and I'm thinking, well, how does that window keep opening? Is someone just sat out there the whole time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lovely Emily is um, rushing outside to open the window. That was very spooky. <laughs> that was very spooky. And uh, so it's, uh, assume, I assume it's safe outside the window. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, what, how, when you have such a complex production that you are performing, um, how do you prepare yourselves when maybe something goes wrong technically? <laughs> yeah, how, how do you cook that, guys? <laughs> that, uh, you... Can't, the, 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 the joy of those moments is that you cannot prepare for them. <laughs> and you just have to like see what happens and try and try and like get through it or solve it or fix it or go with it or whatever whatever that particular happening requires. Adrenaline. You have to find that. Useful, isn't it? Yeah. What did what did you say? Adrenaline. Adrenaline carries you through. Yes, yeah. Doctor Theatre indeed. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, other questions. Come on, don't be shy. Okay. Yes, yes I see you there. Yeah. Okay, you've obviously read the book quite a lot. I just wonder what you thought. Bram Stoker was in the audience today, bearing in mind his, his, his attempt lasted four hours. What do you think he'd think of the play today? I'm not sure. I don't think he would love it necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, it, I mean, if it's Bram Stoker in his lifetime, I think he'd probably find it a, a little, maybe a little modern and experimental. I, I, think, I, I don't think writers ever love having their work played around with to that extent, so I don't know. But I, I, I would like to think that he would enjoy the sort of the new insights into it and the fact that I think that 
you can reinvent old narratives to keep them going and they can mean new things under different contexts. But well, who knows? You, you mentioned about the themes. <laughs> Do you think the themes are the same? No, I don't think they're the same, no. I think they are connected, um, and I think... Uh, but I don't think they're necessarily... I, d I don't know that I think that there's one set of themes in one book anyway, really. I think a different reading can pull out a different interpretation. I think we could, uh, you, could, you could probably argue with lots of different people about what the key themes are in Dracula, really. And many people have argued about that. So, yeah. I think you might be quite surprised that we're still reading and performing his <laughs> work. So, yeah. I think he'd probably but, be pretty yeah. delighted about that because in his lifetime, I mean, he, he did not see lots of financial success from his writing, did he? No. Well, was it? He was famously quite bad. Dracula was the only. Dracula was. We have to the other stuff that he's written, it's terrible. Dracula was. And it's the only thing he took some. In the seven years in which he did Dracula, he released. He published three other books, all of which are famously awful. <laughs> uh, this is the only one he took time to, like, really have a go at, and it worked, but everything else is. And I, and I also love, I did not know this about um, Bram Stoker, but he was a man of the theatre as well. Um, you know, he, he uh, was great mates with Henry Irving, he worked at the Lyceum Theatre while he was researching here, um, and, and in fact, I, I, I think I'm right in saying, um, with the Count, a lot of the mannerisms, the gestures are based on Henry Irving, and he anticipated that Henry Irving would play Count Dracula, and then he decided not to, for whatever reason. Um, so I'm going to say that I think he'd be really pleased. But um, uh, I also love um, that your piece, uh, Kate, um, in the program is really interesting, um, that, and you've touched on it there, about um, how classics like this are continually reinvented because they're looked at by fresh eyes, fresh generations, and they resonate in our time. And, and I think I read somewhere else, um, you know, uh, as if I've written it down, that uh, each... Um, there have been so many versions, adaptations of Dracula that every age gets the Dracula it deserves and it wants. The, the Dracula that's right, that speaks to us in that time. And I think that the themes that you've touched on absolutely do for me. So, other, other, other questions. Thank you for that one. This is pathetic. Okay, nice. <laughs> Come on, thank you. We've talked a lot about space and the role of space. So, we've got you both here. So, as director, as writer, as cast, how do you go about exploring the opportunities and challenges of a new space? Ooh. What is the process by which you could... It felt really... It felt like it really sat here tonight. So what do you... What, do you, what processes do you do to work gonna, out when you come into it? I'm going to ask Helen to start with that, but and just preceding that, how long did you have to adapt it for this space? Oh, not long. Um, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is a bit like that. Well, we made a lot of site visits beforehand, and uh, obviously Lucy and uh, the creation team have, have worked in a lot of different spaces. So, so one of the first considerations actually is where can we put enough chairs and where can we, where can we put... The, you see, there's a speaker there. You know, where can we put the speakers and the lights? It's... A, a incredibly difficult get-in that we have to do every single evening. So some of the first considerations oh, are practical. So you have to dismantle it every... Yeah, yeah, every so, day. So the room is being used during the day? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So all these lights as well are put up, put up and taken down every evening. So one of the... And the projectors, three projectors, um, that oh, then have to make angle. sure that they're at the per absolutely yeah. perfectly aligned... <laughs> Um, so one of the first considerations is this practical consideration. And, the, yeah, there is this crazy hour when people are just running around going, oh, putting everything up. 
Um, so that's kind of one of the first considerations, a very practical. Um, and then, of course, it's, you know, what space is, is beautiful. And um, so then I will then be looking at how can I use this space to tell the story clearly, to uh, differentiate uh, um, areas of the story. So, you know, a lot of stuff connected to Dracula happens up there. Dracula's castle is up there. And that feels right to me because your imagination is up there and it's mm -hmm. further away and that's where weird things happen. But they live on this level. Um, uh, and and all sewage records um, on that beautiful machine are kind of, yeah, slightly higher up. So, And you had a window. That's oh, perfect. my goodness. I mean, we had a fake window in Blackwells, so getting a real window. The, one of the first things I did the first time I came here was climb out onto the roof, actually. And I was like, <laughs> I hope I'm, not in, hope I'm not getting into trouble for this. And I was absolutely delighted that it was, I, that it was a go from the library. Lately, <laughs> I was like, are they going to tell me that I can't do this every day and get an actor to go out there every day? But we're allowed, which is brilliant. Because sometimes, you know, there is health. And obviously there is health and safety considerations that we have to look at. Um, how do you get things about using space? I love using space. It's, it's kind of my favourite, favourite, favourite thing is how to use space to tell a story. And... Uh, uh, how people, how bodies relate to architecture, and how architecture impacts on bodies. Um, but, and then the actors, when the actors first come in the space, one of the first things we do and they do is start to explore the space and see how they like to use it and how their bodies fit into the architecture of the space and work with the props and the angles and how their different characters fit into the space and the things that they enjoy doing. So they then find their own amazing things in the space. Um, Sophie, am I right in saying you also performed it at Blackwells in Oxford? Yes. Yes. So, uh, and, and Bart, you joined it here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Sophie, um, for you as a performer, is it, uh, was it very different um, in Oxford and um, have you had to adjust your performance? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a much, this space is much more um, kind of intimate space. I can really kind of, I'm not always like directly looking at people, but you're aware that people are very close. Um, so even though it's quite a big space, you still have to kind of project, I think, a lot of the, a lot of the thoughts are kind of more internal. You don't have to do as much maybe as Blackwells, which is kind of a much bigger space. And people mm -hmm. are kind of up balconies, like, really far away. And if, have you guys checked out any of the books on the shelves? Yeah? Mm. Have you found some good ones? Yeah, there's, uh, there, there are so lots of, or all along here is like language reference. So it's lots of uh, uh, bilingual and multilingual dictionaries. Uh, the greatest joy of which is that right here in the heart of the whole stage is the English Romanian section. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is just perfection. Uh, up here you have loads of like uh, geographical reference and lots of uh, lots of books which have names which I don't understand. So it'll be like the um, the uh, the like the dictionary of wars. <laughs> and I don't know what that means, but I'm very excited to find out. Oh, <laughs> and, and given that you've now brought it here, and we've talked about the incredible uh, association that Bram Stoker has with the place, how, how has that affected you? Have you kind of immersed yourself in the history of Bram? Yes. We met, um, we met Dave Kerr Stoker last week, his great-grandnephew. That was amazing. Like, 
Yeah, it's incredible. It's just, it's just so cool. <laughs> 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 in the big in the display down in the foyer, in the in like the glass boxes, but there's probably worth less. Uh, there's one which is the most amazing uh, because it's not just the book that is there; it's his bookmark, and his bookmark is a ticket stub to see Henry Irving or something at the Lyceum. Uh, with his handwriting on it, which means that he did a, it's like a beautiful moment when you realise that Bram Stoker does the same thing which we all do, which is you're like, oh, I need a bookmark. What's this thing in my pocket? This'll do. And he forgot to take it out, and then it's that bookmark with his handwriting on sat in the library untouched for so long so that we could have it now. That, that's been the really cool thing about being here, I think. That's, think that. that's amazing. Okay, I think we've got time for one more audience question. Any, anybody feeling great? Debbie, come on. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, yes, great. In the back there. You skirted over Christianity, which is surely more important in the book. There's, there was this very swift reference mm. to the crucifix. Yes. Yeah, we did skirt over that. Um, it's, yeah, it's way more important in the book. Uh, it, was, it kind of goes back to what, what Kate was saying earlier. You can't... It, it's not possible to do justice to every scene why in the book. Um, Sorry, what, what why I felt like it gave um, a sort of quite interesting framework, but it wasn't necessarily something we wanted to fully explore. I think... They would have been religious in the 50s, mm. so it wouldn't make in time... And I think the way in which I, I introduced it in the beginning is very much about their relationship and the lack of consummation of it. And I think that was the main sort of introduction of it. They, they would have had that concern, I suppose. Um, but it just, it just didn't... If you, if you, as soon as you start touching on everything, mm. it, and... <laughs> You, you just it just yeah, becomes very can't. thin on the ground, um, so that was why. Really. But I do think it's a really interesting theme, and there's a lot of other interesting themes. I mean, there's a million different adaptations you could do, actually. <laughs> to be honest, um, it, this just happened to be this theme and this one, really. Um, Kate, you mentioned earlier that if you had been commissioned to write it for this space, it might have been a different piece. H have you talked about how you how that might have been different? Maybe it would have included that theme. I, I mean, I, I don't think it would have been necessarily dramatically different because it's essentially mm, mm. the same team, the same interests kind of thing. But mm. I suppose if we'd walked in here, first of all, we might not have immediately jumped to the 50s yeah. thing, which might have taken it in a different direction. Yeah. Because you are led from that, the walls that you're in with site-specific, you just have to be. So I suppose it, it could have taken us in a new direction. Mm. I don't know if it would be, have been dramatically different because I think the interests of a team and what you're sort of skills are within that team always you know you tend to, to levitate to something mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. fantastic um i also want to draw your attention if you haven't seen it in the program please do get it um the library is uh, uh on the back of this production they are doing bram stoker walking tours <laughs> in the next couple of weeks that <laughs> looks pretty cool are you guys going to go on them you're yes he's so <laughs> going to go on them <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. Um, but and the production is continuing here until it's in, until the third of March. But we're, we're, we're probably on Monday. We'll be announcing an extension. Can you just stay here? Can you just stay? Oh, I, I'm 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 I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> 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 so what 
But what, what time does the reading room close each day? It closes at 5.30, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then your team comes in. And then we come in. And yeah. Come in. Well, actually, for us, it's a very unusual production because normally we have to do everything. So we carry every item from wherever it's stored up. But here, because all, most of the set and props and chairs have to be stored in the basement mm. with books that are so rare and precious, we don't have to do it. <laughs> so there's a really a team who just come in and deliver everything and then we just place it in the room. So it's so actually relatively... They're a great team. Well, I was going to say, can, how has it been working with the London Library? They're yeah, really great. They're so warm and friendly, aren't they, and welcoming. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, really, really helpful and wonderful. And, and is it true that people. we could, any of us could become members of the London Library? Yeah, so who who are the members? Start. Tell us. How do, we get, how do we become members? Okay. Join. <laughs> Join. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope, for, uh, I hope some more of you will join. I'm sorely tempted. Okay, so beyond um, uh, Dracula, what's next for creation? Uh, next for creation, beyond Dracula, after that three-year uh, extension, yep. uh, we will be doing a production of Tempest in you haven't decided where yet? Uh, it's going to be like our production business on stream. It's going to be kind of a sort of game theatre. It moves around lots of secret locations. Anybody living in Oxford? Shall we all? Yeah, we're going to go, right? Okay, so um, last quick fire question for those of you um, here on the stage recently. Well, one, first of all, just a raise of, raise of the hands. Do any of you believe in vampires, werewolves, or any other monsters? <laughs> No. <laughs> You're not sure. I, well, I was walking. I was walking past uh, St James's Park three days ago, and I walked past a man, and he smiled at me, and he has the longest canines I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm starting to believe a bit more. <laughs> no. Okay, then uh, if not those kind of monsters, what gives you nightmares? Oh. Oh. I think, like, human beings are yeah. way scarier than anything else. Human beings yeah, are scarier than imagination. I mean, like, you just read the papers yeah. some days and, you know, mm. it's pretty scary. Mm. You know, that's what scares me. Yeah. And, and just um, do, reading the papers, we could go on for this, on this yeah. for a lot, but does that seep into your writing? That kind of fear about what's going on in the wider world? Generally, uh, yeah, I mean, massively, yeah, very much so, yeah. And not, not just fear, but also maybe, like, feelings of wanting to challenge it or, or whatever. But, yeah, hugely, like, really important to me, I think. Yeah. Helen, your nightmares? I sleep really well. <laughs> <laughs> you lucky woman. Sophie, your bark. Any nightmares? When I read the book uh, to start preparing... Uh, I read the first four, four or five chapters before going to sleep, and the first four or five chapters are the diary entries of Jonathan in the castle, and I read them all in one go, and then went straight to sleep, and then that night had a dream about running around the castle being chased by some unseen thoughts, yeah. so that was really cool. <laughs> uh, and Tony? Yeah, I sleep a lot. But um, to the gentleman over there, I think um, that is incredibly powerful that 120 years later, he's still giving us nightmares. Right? Mm. So that's really good. Okay, so um, now you guys are our ambassadors for this show, the London Library and Absolutely Creation Theatre. So will you go out and spread the word and say what the good stuff's going on here? Um, so, uh, yes, so tweet, Facebook, Stop people in the street, pick up flyers, be sure to get a, a program. Oh, shoot, man. I forgot my most important thing. I have a swag bag. 
This is good. Did you know they've got merchandise downstairs? This is very good. So uh, you can also spread the word and support the work here by getting some of this um, uh, cool stuff. We've got a London Library bag. We have got um, postcards, which um, uh, is of the books of the Bram Stoker consultant and some of the um, items that are in the display case downstairs. Um, we also have a poster from the show and, of course, the program. And any other merchandise that I should need? No, so that's really good. So, uh, yes, get that. Um, and uh, join me finally. And for those of you on social media, we're going to do a, a social media money shot with Lucy as well in a moment after you give a big round of applause. Um, and so join me, please, in thanking um, Bart and Sophie and Helen and Kate and Lucy. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Creation Theatre podcast. You can find more episodes and all the latest creation news at creationtheatre.co.uk.